Hi, I'm John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to our debut edition of Business Casual. This is our new weekly podcast. We'll have three hosts, me, Johnny Byrne, uh, the founder and editor-in-chief of Poets and Quants, and two really spectacular hosts who will be with us every week talking about trends and the big issues in business education. Uh, let me introduce them. First, Caroline Diarty Edwards, who is a director at Fortuna Admissions, and she is a former director of admissions at NCOD, also has an MBA from NCOD, and Maria Wick Villa, the founder of Applicant Lab, who's been working as an alumni admissions interviewer at Princeton for 20 years and is an Harvard MBA. So welcome, everybody. Thank you, John. So you can't turn on the news and you can't open a newspaper if people even do that today without <laughs> reading about the coronavirus outbreak, which seems to be affecting education overall. And the business schools have really reacted. What do you two make of this? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's creating a lot of uncertainty and it's hard to know how things will evolve. Obviously, you know, the situation is changing every day, but it's, you know, it's very difficult for business schools because, you know, what I hear is that exec ed is emptying out, you know, lots of cancellations for those programs. And that's, a, you know, a, an important source of revenue for many of these institutions. So, you know, that's going to create some instability. And then, you know, there are various effects it could have on the MBA program. You know, we're hearing a lot of interest from people who want to throw in their hat for round three. So it could boost uh, application volume in the short term, potentially. But then, you know, if, if the schools are not able to bring everyone together physically in the fall, then, you know, that, that creates another whole set of issues. True. And most schools have already canceled their in-person classes and have moved online of course, study abroad programs have been canceled. A lot of the global immersion trips were the first to get canceled, particularly those to China initially. But you wonder, you know, what are the long-term effects of this? I have a sense that this is really a wake-up call. You know, there are some schools that have taken a leadership position on online learning, but most of the major business schools, maybe they've done a MOOC or two, but a MOOC is nothing like a real classroom experience online that's rigorous, that's robust, that allows for active participation among the students and the faculty, that allows for exams, breakout rooms, etc. The Coursera and edX platforms where most of the MOOCs are delivered really are totally inadequate for delivering really quality classwork. So Maria, what do you what do you what do you make of that? Yeah, you know, I think one of the good things is that since there has been an emphasis towards online learning these past couple of years, I do think that some of the schools are at least cognizant of the fact that they need to come up with some way to try to replicate that experience. And I, I promise that just because I went to Harvard Business School does not mean that I will always praise everything Harvard Business School does. But I do think in this case, uh, they they have created, uh, my understanding is that for some of their online courses, they have created a, a sort of a a room that really helps replicate that sort of in-class experience, right? Where each, I think each person, there's like a professor standing in the middle and there's just a wall of of images, of, of screens. And each screen is like a different person in the classroom as if though the professor were standing in a typical MBA classroom. So I do think that, you know, a lot of the schools are going to have to start thinking about how do we, because, because the dissemination of the knowledge is not the is not the only point of the MBA, right? It is also about the soft skills that you get. It is about developing these relationships. And so I think they're going to have to move beyond simply how do we teach the information and then 
but then how do we get people to work together and get to know each other? That's true. You know, Maria, I've been in that futuristic classroom, which is actually in a studio, a public television studio that Harvard Business School kind of uh, leased space in. And it is remarkably impressive, but it's also very costly and very few schools have that capability. Uh, most of the schools that can actually do that already have online degree programs. But even then, you know, switching all of your, your full and part-time MBAs to the online format is going to tax the capability of even schools that are ahead of the game because they just don't have enough studio space to deliver the, the kind of classes that need to be delivered to these MBA students. I, I, I do think the, there are two things. And, you know, Caroline focused on one. I, I too agree that there's going to be an increase in round three applicants this year. People are already seeing that we're likely will slide into a recession. The economy was already weakening, and this is the the big bang that's going to put it into a deep recession probably. So I think people are already thinking about, okay, now's a good time to go and get my MBA. That's number one. So we're going to see, I think, a much larger group of applicants in what is traditionally is the smallest round in MBA applications. The other thing I do think we're going to see is deans that are going to double down on their investments in technology. And it's not only because of this event. It's it's realizing that they just don't have the capability that they should have at a time of crisis and realizing that there's also a lot of opportunity, uh, particularly in the executive education field, to deliver online courses. You know, many schools are doing that, but they aren't doing that as aggressively as you would think they, they should. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, educational institutions are not always um, at the forefront of change, as, as you know. True. Uh, and, and, you know, it, often change is difficult in such a, you know, often a lumbering institution with so many layers of hierarchy and approval and so on. So in some ways, you know, there's a silver lining to all of this in that it will propel forward, you know, the evolution of technology in schools. And, you know, that's a you know, that, that is a huge threat to traditional educational institutions. You know, there, there is potential for, you know, a lot more disruption in the industry. The traditional players could see their position eroded in the marketplace by startups. And so, you know, perhaps in some ways this will push them to, you know, get further ahead in the game. And that will actually, you know, give them a stronger position for the longer term. Now, Maria, I know you got your Harvard MBA back in 2005, but could you imagine today being a student and now having to take these classes online? Yeah, no, I think it would be really difficult, right? A, bi a big part of the case method in particular is that it is sort of a lightning fast discussion-based, you know, pedagogy where, you know, the discussion can really change on a dime. And so I think capturing those dynamics virtually are going to be really tough. But I do think I'm going to add another silver lining to Caroline's silver lining. And that is, I think in the, we were on our way to an increasingly global economy anyway, before this broke out. And so this idea of remote work and remote management and learning how to inspire teams, even if you've never met them in person, but you've only met them, you know, over Skype or Zoom, you know, that's that's become an increasing part of being a successful manager today. And so to the extent that now that might be an increasing part of the business school education experience itself, it's not necessarily, it won't be as good perhaps as the in-person experience, but at least it'll prepare people for a little bit more of what's to come. Indeed. In the meantime, everyone out there, wash your hands frequently, desanitize everything you touch, including your the handles on your cars uh, and every other 
or other thing and stay put. Do a little social distancing. We are right now because Caroline is in uh, Silicon Valley. Marie is in L.A. And I'm in Marin County, California. So we're all social distance. And I imagine <laughs> all of you should be as well. <laughs> all right. Uh, hopefully everyone will will escape all of this and it will be over in the summertime. I'm I'm crossing my fingers. I'm not predicting that, but I think that is my hope. Yeah, likewise. Okay, so we want to talk about why the MBA is a worthwhile investment. And, and maybe even be a little bit of a devil's advocate here in saying, you know, clearly there are some cons that prevent people from getting off the fence. Uh, there are a lot of people out there, and I think there really is a lot of pent-up demand for an MBA. Uh, and I base this on the explosive growth in inexpensive online MBA programs. You know, you have the University of Illinois, which came out with a $22,000 MBA and they have over 3,500 students in just a few years. So I think there's a lot of demand for the MBA, but there are a lot of fence sitters because, number one, it's super expensive. Number two, international students are worried about the anti-immigration climate in the United States, as well as getting a work visa when they do graduate. In many cases, people are thinking, you know, it's not necessarily for a high flyer. The dean of NCIAT was in San Francisco recently to open up the new hub for NCIAT in North America. And he was telling me that when they survey students who started the application but didn't complete it, and they asked them why they didn't finish up, the inevitable answer is they went to their employer, they told them they were going to go for an MBA, their employer on the spot gave them a promotion to a post-MBA job. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's at first talk about the pros. Why is it still a worthwhile investment? Who wants to take that first? Well, um, John, I would start with looking at the numbers. And, you know, there's a lot of hard data on the value of, of pursuing an MBA. And, you know, if you dig into the rankings and, and uh, you know, no one knows the ranking data better than you do. If you look at Forbes, for example, which is based on return on investment, it pays for itself very well. And, and you know, there's a rapid return on investment. So, you know, Chicago MBAs get a net gain of about $100,000 within five years. And, you know, the one the top one year programs in, in Europe do even better than that because of the, you know, the, the cost efficiencies of the one year format. So, for example, IMD, it's about 170,000 in in five years. So, you know, there's a lot of hard data that you can't argue with. True. You know, but, and that's talking about, you know, going to a top business school. But I, I think, you know, that's a good place to start to think about if you're going to pursue an MBA, where do you want to go and how are you going to use that degree? But you can, you know, you can certainly dig into the data on post-MBA positions, salaries, and, and think about, you know, where you want to work and what sort of salary you would command post-MBA versus, you know, your pre-MBA career. The other thing is, you know, GMAC data over the years has, they've done a lot of research on graduates. And year after year, graduates show extremely high satisfaction levels with the education they received, the vast majority of them believe they were able to get a job that they otherwise would not have obtained without the degree. And in fact, the degree does open the door 
to many jobs that in fact would be closed to you if you didn't have a degree. So above and beyond, you know, the three or the five year short term return on the degree, there's all of that, which is less tangible, perhaps. And then there are the long term benefits of the degree. Yeah, and I think in the longer term, you know, it's more about um, the benefits of the network. I think, you know, the, the knowledge and the skills that you gain on the program pay tremendous dividends, I would say, in the first five years post-graduation. And that's when, you know, you're really leveraging that that knowledge. But in the longer term, it's more about the alumni network and those relationships that you've built with your class and also the a- access to the network Um, that you have nationally and globally, that you can continue to tap into, that will continue to open doors for you. And, you know, it's very hard to quantify that, but it's something that stays with you for the rest of your life and, and is a huge asset for you throughout your career. Now, Maria, I know you believe in the MBA, but I also know that you like to quip, it's Harvard, not Hogwarts. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, look, the MBA will definitely teach you definitely hard skills, right? If you didn't know finance or accounting or how to do a DCF or IRR calculation, like, of course, you're going to learn that from the MBA. And you also are going to learn certain key managerial skills to add to your toolkit. But I think some people out there think that the MBA is like a magic wand that it's going to be like in a Harry Potter book where someone waves the magic wand and like all of a sudden I've always been this kind of timid underperformer. But if I just get the MBA, I'm going to be transformed into a totally different person and suddenly I'm going to be Steve Jobs. Right. And I think people need to be realistic about like, do I, how much am I really going to, how much transformation, personal transformation am I really going to get from the degree? And then also I want to bring up the point that I think there's there's this bit of a paradox where the sorts of people who get into the top programs tend to be these high flyers, right? These really impactful, young, energetic people who are out there moving and shaking. And the people who fall into that bucket, if they don't go to business school, they end up getting to the top anyway. And this is something that my husband and I have talked about, you know, from time to time, because I met him at Harvard. And, and so we both have MBAs from there. But we also have friends in our in our social group from college who, you know, they they thought about applying to the top schools. They ultimately decided against it. And now some of them are. But fought. Maria, you, you got more than just, uh, yes. you know, the, the knowledge. <laughs> I sure did. And you got more than just uh, the return. You actually found love in business school. I did. Isn't that romantic? I know it's not it's not Valentine's Day anymore, but, uh, you know, it's. <laughs> it sure, well, there's sure another helps. benefit, right? Yeah, if you're single. Definitely helps to, my to meet, uh, Yeah. To meet like-minded, ambitious, smart people, what better places do than a business school? I mean, you know, the proof the, the proof speaks for itself, man. I, you know, I, I approve. I, I would certainly agree that it, it's a program for people who are already doing well. And, you know, I remember when I, when we were on, I was on the admissions committee at INSEAD, you know, we'd sometimes reject people who apply to business school. And as Maria said, you know, they're, they they seem to be struggling, maybe sort of floundering. Perhaps they've reached a plateau in their career, and it seems transparent that you know they're looking to the MBA to sort of dig them out of a hole. And that's not the sort of candidate that, that the schools are looking for. So those candidates, and I think they you know they the deans say this to people at the opening ceremonies of the business schools when they start the class. You know, they, you do not have to have an MBA. The people in that classroom do not need an MBA to be successful, but you know, I think it just gives you a lot of options and it enables you to do things that you might not otherwise have been able to do. And I think, you know, that option value is is tremendous. And just being able to 
you know, to knock on doors, be able to open doors and to be able to change career immediately post MBA or at another time in the future means that, you know, you're not stuck on a path that you chose when you came out of undergrad. And, you know, what I've, I've observed, uh, you know, amongst my peer group, people who went to business school and, and didn't, you know, I think there's a lot of job satisfaction amongst the business school alumni because, you know, they, they've been able to make very proactive choices in their career and they've been able to craft their career and craft their path in the direction they wanted to go in. And things change, right? People change their mind about, you know, how they want to dedicate their, their time and, you know, what they want to get out of their career over time. And so, you know, the ability to leverage that degree and that network in the future to change again, if that's what you're looking for, you know, is a tremendously valuable asset. You know, a lot of the fence sitters are people who, let's say they're in a non-traditional role, they're not in business already, and they look at business school as a place where maybe overly ambitious people who want to make a lot of money go. And and I wonder, uh, I, I don't remember where the two of you were before you two went to business school, but were you uh, non-traditional or were you on a business track and and kind of what you expected is what you got? Absolutely. So the answer to your question is I was both of those things. So I, prior to business school, I was working for a major media conglomerate, what was at the time one of the biggest media companies in the world. So media is not necessarily a huge feeder into business school because honestly, in the media industry, even to this day, uh, the MBA is not necessarily seen as a as a prerequisite for success, right? You Having that sort of creative background, producing script writing, what have you, tends to be a, a better path forward. But I was in in a business role. I was in the sort of international corporate strategy. So I was analyzing mergers and acquisitions and potential investments on behalf of the company. So my job, you know, was very much spreadsheets and financial analyses. So I was a little, I was a little of both. <laughs> oh, your major at Princeton was what? I majored in uh, something called operations research and financial engineering. Okay. So, so that's close enough for you to know uh, how to deal with numbers, statistics, and, and models. <laughs> more, more than I wanted to, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Caroline, how about you when you went in to NCIAD? Yes. So I studied French and German at Cambridge, and then I worked for Arthur Anderson as was. So I was a management consultant. So, you know, fairly typical background for business school. Um, I'd worked in London office and then moved to Paris um, so, you know, it, it was an interesting time because Anderson was going through the Enron crisis exactly when I, I was applying to business school. So, uh, it was, a one of, it was like the Chinese curse, you know, may you live in interesting times, but, you know, so I had a pretty typical background, although, you know, having been through the British educational system, I hadn't studied anything quantitative since the age of 15, because, you know, you, you specialize fairly early in the British high school system. So I'd been studying languages and literature and, and focused on that from quite an early age. So although I- So you got your early business education, frankly, on the job. Yes. And so Anderson, you know, in the UK and a lot of the employers have to do that, you know, they give you a lot of, lot of training. So, you know, I did a lot of accounting classes and finance and so on, because I, that was, you know, completely- new to me so that you know I, I had gone through some of that training at Anderson but for me you know a big part of the MBA was getting more of those quantitative skills. So I should tell everyone you know I'm the only one here who does not have an MBA 
I have some regret over that because I really think the degree and the education you receive is extremely valuable. But let me ask the two of you, do you have any remorse? And if not, why? Maria? I mean, that's such a complicated question because business school changed the trajectory of my life in so many different ways that I, it's, you can't really, there's no sort of clear cut analysis that can be done, right? My, the fact that I found my my spouse aside, you know, one of the things that the MBA program really did for me that I never in a million years dreamed it would do is it planted a seed in me to become an entrepreneur. And so today I am sort of a social enterprise entrepreneur. And that was something I never, I never dreamt of. And so financially, that has not perhaps been the best choice. The financial ROI for me has not been as high as it has been for many of my more hedge fund private equity classmates. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know, from a life satisfaction perspective, you know, I'm really happy with it. So it's, it's a hard, you know, I, I think for people for whom it, perhaps financially, it might not be like the most explosive revenue growth potential. I do think that there's a, it forces you to sort of really look at what do I want out of my life and what am I going to prioritize during the rest of my career and work-life balance and all that other stuff. So I'm glad I did it. Caroline, any regrets? Uh, no, absolutely not. And as Maria says, it, the, the experience changes you and it's it's hard to imagine, you know, looking back where I might be now if I had not done the MBA. And, you know, when, when I was applying to business school, I was working for Anderson in, in Paris and working with a lot of media and telecoms clients. And so my goal post MBA was um, probably to go and work for an organization like Maria's and, and work in the media industry. That was my goal too. Um, but I, <laughs> but then very much, you know, had a change of heart whilst at business school. And when I came out, you know, instead of working for a media company in France, I ended up working for the World Bank Group in Indonesia. So <laughs> something that, you know, I would never have imagined doing. So, you know, it just opens doors and it opens your minds in ways that you can't anticipate. And that path has led me since then all over the world. And I've lived in many different countries um, like Maria. I'm now an entrepreneur. So, you know, it, it's hard to imagine how life would be otherwise. And, you know, I'm sure it would have been a great adventure. But I think that the MBA has created opportunities that, you know, certainly I wouldn't otherwise have had and led me on a path that, you know, is incredibly enriching. Of course, the big difference is 15, 17 years ago, when you two graduated with your MBA, it was a lot cheaper, a heck of a lot cheaper. And now it is super expensive. So if you had to put on today's price tag on your education, would it change your answer? I don't think so. I mean, I encourage candidates. And, you know, I talk to a lot of candidates about the, the cost and, you know, how they're going to pay for this. And it, it's a huge commitment to make. And it it's, makes a lot of people very nervous. But, you know, in the long term, if it's the right step for you, it will pay dividends. And I encourage people, you know, really take a long term view on this. And, you know, I was a scholarship beneficiary. A lot of candidates getting into the schools that have deep pockets will get, you know, can benefit some from financial aid. And so, you know, that sticker price of, you know, I, I guess all in, it's about $350,000 now to go to a top business school once you roll in all of the living costs and everything else. That's not actually what it may cost you at the end of the day by the time, you know, you you apply for financial aid, scholarships, whatever it may be. So, that can be off-putting, but it's definitely worth investigating, you know, your financing options and what you might be able to benefit from. 
I was going to say, I do think if people do take that long-term view and you think about like, okay, you know, most people applying to MBA programs are in their sort of mid to late 20s. And so, you know, hopefully they will be working for another 30, 40 perhaps years. And so, it, you know, if you sort of divide out, that, that's a big number to look at up front. Uh, <laughs> but if you divide it out sort of over the years and you think, well, you know, it's, it's actually, it, it becomes a lot more manageable, I think, when you think about almost sort of amortizing it or like dividing it out over time. Right. And there's a lot of scholarship money out there. There is and has been over the last 10 years scholarship wars. It's almost like an arms race among yes. the, the best mm-hmm. schools. And there are many people who are getting free rides. There are many people who are getting a discounted tuition and other deals. You will earn money during your summer internship if you go into a two-year program that lessens the total cost and the opportunity cost of the degree. You will, as Caroline spoke about early in the uh, conversation on this, you will get a big bump in your compensation. And that bump will last not only a short term, but if you continue on in your career and you don't take a detour like Maria has, uh, (laughs) you will earn more and more because every percentage increase on a larger sum means that every raise is a bigger raise and you will be exposed to opportunities that you otherwise would never have. I am a total believer in the degree. I think it's a no-brainer investment, and it's pretty much a no-brainer investment for anyone unless, let's say, you're already working at a hedge fund or in a private equity shop, and you are making $150,000 to $200,000 a year. That may be a more difficult decision to make than if you fall in the majority of people who are probably making between seventy-five dollars to $95,000 a year and are deciding to quit their jobs and make this huge investment in themselves. Uh, Remember this, and I I really believe this, the most generous investment you can make is an investment in yourself, and that is exactly what higher education is. You are investing in yourself, and there will be a return above and beyond salary, above and beyond a bonus. It leads to an enriched life. Because the other thing about this, and I'm sure Caroline and Maria would agree, is the people you meet and the friends you will take out of the program and those friendships that will endure for your lifetime. The people you meet in an MBA program are going to be among the smartest, most generous, most interesting people you'll meet in your life. These are the people you want around your dinner table. Am I right? Absolutely. Yes. 100%. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's an endorsement. So, you know, is it a worthwhile investment? That's a decision that you have to make, I think. But based on our conversation, I would say we're all gun ho We're all in for the MBA, right? Yes. You're here. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Maria and Caroline, thank you so much for an engaging discussion. All of you, this is our debut podcast. This is going to be a weekly podcast. It's called Business Casual. We will examine the key issues in graduate management education. We'll talk about everything from the rankings, which I think we should address next time because we're on the verge of a new big ranking from U.S. News and World Report. And we'll address all the key topics like the burden of debt and financing your MBA and big trends in education from business analytics to globalization. So this is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Caroline, for a great discussion. This is Business Casual. 